Well, good morning, dear Lord. I thank you for your presence here with us in our homes. I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help me as I preach and each one of us to find you quick to meet our needs. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated in here. Well, this is just weird. It's strange to be in basically an empty sanctuary with the nine of us, the skeleton crew here, who are making this possible. It brings new meaning, actually, to that psalm that Michelle just read for us. Let me, let me go back to verse 4 of Psalm 42. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. This coronavirus situation brings a total new meaning to that. As you know, Sunday is my favorite day of the week. And so to come here to church and not have church gathered just feels so odd. But I'm grateful for the opportunity to take advantage of technology. I'm grateful for our computers and Facebook. Um, This idea of social distancing is really, and I don't mean this in any facetious way, is really a taste of hell. Hell, by definition, is separation. It's separation from God and from one another. I don't know if you've read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, but it's a caricature of what hell looks like when it grows up in a person's life. And one of the dialogues in that book, uh, a person is asking to meet Napoleon, you know, the French leader, and they say, oh, he's moved on from here because the problem in hell is that you can't tolerate anyone else. And so you keep distancing yourself until you move further and further and further away. It's separation. And I'm feeling the absence in church this morning. I know God is with us, but I, I will steal the quote from Jesus. I thirst. I feel thirsty this morning, as do you, I suspect. Now, our series is called Words from the Cross, and we're looking at these things that Jesus said, his last words to us as he was dying. And today, obviously, is the word, I thirst, Jesus declaring his thirst. And I'd like to reflect for a minute on water and its significance, especially in John's gospel. Water is all over. I went through the whole 21 chapters of John's gospel and looked at all the different places where there's thirst or there's water or there's some spiritual meaning given to water. Consider these examples. In chapter 2, there's a need at a wedding, and Jesus turns water into wine. In chapter 3, he's speaking to Nicodemus, and he says, you have to be born again. And he says, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you can't enter God's kingdom. I think he was speaking of baptism and belonging in the body. In chapter 4, a woman at a well is asked for a drink by Jesus, and then he ends up explaining that he is the source of true living water. We'll come back to that one in a minute. In chapter 5, there is a man who is crippled, laying by a pool that was supposed to have healing properties. And there's a contrast between this healing pool and the healer himself being there. There's false healing water and the true living water in Christ. In chapter 6, we see Jesus, Lord over the water, walks across the lake and meets the disciples in the boat. In chapter 7, it's the festival of booths where they did a water ceremony to be mindful of the time when God uh, provided water in the, in the wilderness. And at the last day of, the, of that, that ceremony, Jesus stands up and shouts to the crowd, if you are thirsty, come to me and I will give you water. And then chapter 9, the very saliva 
of Jesus' mouth, he spits on the ground, makes mud, and wipes it on the eyes of a man who was born blind. And he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And the blind man does this and comes back seeing. And then chapter 13, Jesus takes a basin of water and ties a servant's towel around his waist and goes and literally washes the feet of his disciples with this water. And he says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. So water is very significant in John's gospel. And it's symbolic of the spiritual life. And I'll ask you this question, how is your spiritual life presently? What's your thirst level? And what are you doing to meet that need? When Jesus said, I thirst, it was far from only a reference to a bodily need or suffering. He wasn't telling us that he was thirsty for a drink of water. Frankly, that was the least of his problems in that moment. You know, you can live without water for, I don't know, three days or so, but you can't live without blood or oxygen for very long. And crucifixion compromises both of those things. He had been beaten and was bleeding, and he's slowly suffocating on a cross. So I don't think what he was saying is, could I have a drink of water, please? Instead, he's speaking of the spiritual experience of separation from the Father. He was experiencing hell on our behalf. Jesus doesn't cry out about any other bodily pains. I mean, think of all the opportunities he could have. And maybe he did, but the gospel writers did not pick these things up. When they put the crown of thorns on his head, he didn't say, ouch, at least not in the gospels. When he was whipped or when the nails went through, he didn't complain. When he was lifted up, he didn't say, oh, my shoulder hurts. My joints are all separated. Nothing. There was no complaint. There's nothing recorded of anything like that. Except this, I thirst, he says. And he's pointing to much more than a physical thirst. John tells us in here that he said this to fulfill the scriptures. Well, which scriptures? Well, considering that one of the other words that he'll say from the cross is a quote directly from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm going to suspect there are other things in Psalm 22 that he was referencing. So consider this, verse 6. It says, I'm scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. We saw that happen in one of the other weeks of Lent. In verse 14, it says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. And verse 17 says, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Psalm 22 has a number of prophecies that were fulfilled in the actual crucifixion of our Lord. And when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is calling to mind all of Psalm 22. I'm sure in his mind, he was thinking through these things as he was experiencing them. That's a powerful thing. Now, John Stott, the Anglican scholar whose work I I greatly appreciate, makes this observation about symbols that were happening at the moment of the cross. The sky, as you know, grew dark from noon until 3 p.m. as Christ was dying. This wasn't just a cloud that rolled in. It was 
a symbol of the darkness of sin. Where God is, there is light, and where he is not, where people leave from his presence, they go into darkness. It's symbolic of sin. And Jesus' physical bodily death on the cross was actually symbolic of the spiritual death that we suffer because of sin. If you go back to Genesis and look at what happens, God says, if you eat from this tree in the garden, you will surely die. Well, Adam and Eve eat from it, and they don't die literally in that moment. They die spiritually in that they are now separated from God in a new way. And then later they physically die. The body starts to break down. All of creation starts to break down. Physical bodily death is a sign and symbol of spiritual death. And then this thirst that Jesus talks about. Thirst is symbolic in John's gospel of the torment of separation. And here's what John Stott says. He says, think of the biblical images of hell. They pick up outer darkness, the second death, not just physical death, but the death of separation from God, and then the lake of fire. If you think of a lake, it should be full of water, but it's not. In the scriptures, there's this lake of fire, and in fire, there's no water, and the thirst is not quenchable. Jesus was experiencing hell for us so that we don't have to experience it. Let me point you to something from Luke's gospel. This is a parable that Jesus told. There was a rich man who doesn't even have a name, and there was a poor man named Lazarus laying at the gate of this rich man's house. And when they die, there's a separation that happens. The rich man goes to Hades, and Lazarus is gathered to Abraham. And it says this, The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. The separation of that chasm caused great anguish. Jesus was experiencing that on our behalf. But fear not, lest I keep talking about hell, I want to give you some encouragement today. He did that on our behalf so that we can experience something different. I'm jumping ahead now to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and there's a a dialogue happening between the Apostle John and an, an angel, I presume, speaking to him about what he's seeing. He's getting a vision of things to come and a vision of the heavenly throne room, and he sees a bunch of people in white robes under the altar, and he says, who are these? And it says, then one of the elders addressed him saying, uh, saying, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And then in poetic verse, it's set out, it says, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. They shall neither hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here's the incredible irony of the cross. The source of living water himself was made thirsty. Think about that. Jesus thirsted so we could be satisfied. He suffered hell so we don't have to. In Genesis, when you see Adam and Eve first created, they are set up as hungry and thirsty beings. And as soon as it says God made them, it says he put them in a garden that he made, and he said all of the green plants are food for you, and there was a stream running there. 
There was food and water present in abundance for them. But because of sin, they were cast out of that garden. And so now there's a kind of suffering, a thirst in the world. And if you fast forward to Exodus, the passage we had read earlier, we've got the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, and they're doing two things that are not good, that frankly I would do if I was with them. One, they're starting to falter in their trust of God, and two, they're grumbling. They're grumbling against God, and they start to accuse Moses and say, did you lead us out into the wilderness so we can die here, and that we don't have to take up graves in Egypt? We can just die into the sand of the desert. We're thirsty and they grumble, and they complain, and they doubt God. And you know what God's solution is to that? He says, Moses, get the staff that you used to strike the Red Sea, and go to a place I will show you. It's at the base of Mount Sinai, where he would give the law. And he says, I will go ahead of you, and will stand on a rock there, strike that rock, and then living water will come forth, and the Israelites can drink from this. We learn in the New Testament, Paul, the apostle says in 1 Corinthians 10, speaking of that passage, he says, Christ was the rock, is the rock. Christ was struck with this staff, and then living water came forward. This was perfectly fulfilled on the cross. He was thirsty, so you and I could have living water. There is so much scripture fulfilled in this theme of thirst and in water. And I want to go to yet another passage This time I'm going to turn to Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. And this is Jeremiah chapter 2. And God says this about us. He said, speaking about the Israelites, but I would put myself in this camp with them. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Do you know what a cistern, not a cister, like brother and sister, a cistern with an N on the end of it. What a cistern is, it's different than a well. A well you dig goes all the way down to groundwater that's down there, and then you can scoop up the water that's there. A cistern is basically an empty swimming pool you make so that when it rains, it'll collect the water, and then you can scoop that water up. The difference between a cistern and a well is the source of the water. And he's saying, my people have made cisterns that don't hold water. They leak. And he said, I have this against them. Now, I'd like us to learn from the exchange of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Again, a huge theme about living water. Jesus goes to a well at midday and asks a woman there from Samaria for a drink from the well. And she's surprised that a Jew and one dressed as a rabbi would ask her, a woman and a Samaritan, for water. And he says this, if you knew who it was that asked you for a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. And then they have a discussion about water, and she says, give me this water, sir, so that I don't have to keep coming to this well. And then he begins to talk about her life. You see, it's not about literal water, it's about spiritual water. And he says, go and call your husband. And it comes out that she doesn't have a husband. She's had five and she's not in a good situation right now. And through this exchange, she comes to trust in Christ. She actually does experience the living water. And she goes into the town and tells everybody that she's met the Christ. And they all follow her out and they meet him as well. And so learn from the woman this, that she says, give me this water. And it actually pleases the Lord, and he does. She asks him for water. 
And it ends with the whole town following her and her being brought back into a community that she had been isolated from. Because of her situation, she was getting water alone at midday in the heat of the sun. And now all of a sudden, she's back in the community of the town around Christ. She actually asks him for water. So I come back to the question I asked you earlier. How's your spiritual life? Are you thirsty? And what's your source for water? Are you trying to make cisterns in your life to collect water from a different source, like Jeremiah says, that can't hold water? Or are you coming to Christ for that? I want to invite you in this Lent, as weird as this system is right now with this virus and social distancing, to press in and ask him to satisfy your soul. Now, I'm going to give you a closing question. I'll come back to it at the end of the service as well. And I'm hoping that you'll take this into your home for more discussion afterwards. But the question is this, what cisterns have I dug to find water apart from God. And keep in mind, if you have children in your house, they're concrete thinkers, and that's, that's got two kinds of abstract things in it. A cistern to collect water, and the water's not actually water. It's about spiritual vitality and a relationship with God. So you might want to change the question if you have children that are, say, under the age of 13, that are concrete thinkers, to be something like this. What distracts you from keeping your mind on God? That's a very concrete thing as opposed to these abstract ideas. But for adults, what cisterns have I dug in my life to find water apart from God? Jesus thirsted so that we can drink of the living water. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to join in a sermon response song. So I'm going to invite Jim and the other musicians to come up uh, to their places as I pray. Lord, we are thirsty. We are feeling separation right now. Socially, we're separated from our our church body. We're doing the best we can. But we need you above all. I pray, Lord, that you would, on one hand, increase our thirst so that we would quickly see that there's nothing but you that can satisfy it. And then, Lord, as we come to you, that we would feel the relief and refreshment that only you can provide. Lord, our souls are thirsty and restless until they find their rest in you. Help us, Lord, to pursue you. For we ask this in the name of Jesus, the living water. Amen. Amen.